Hey y'all, welcome back to part three here on the Wednesday, June 29th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast presented by Blue Wire Pods. As we wrap up here on this Wednesday edition of the pod, uh, thank you guys as always for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. And uh, yeah, I, I greatly appreciate it. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just make sure you're subscribed and get access to all of my episodes every single day, new kinds of uh, sports content all across this very feed so make sure you're locked in so you never miss any of our episodes we had virginia coverage and then an interview with uh jared uh, dickey of the tennessee volunteers baseball team on uh previous episodes of today's show so check that out part one and part two as we wrap up part three here on today's program with Fangraph's John Taylor. He comes on this show at this time every single week to talk all things Major League Baseball. We talked about Freddie Freeman's return uh, to Atlanta over the weekend, uh, Bryce Harper being lost for what may be this season for the Phillies. Uh, we had uh, some Angels Mariners takes on that brawl from the weekend. Uh, we had uh, Santana, who gets traded to the Mariners and why the Mariners should continue making buy-now trades, uh, the Royals, and just the rough situation they're in. And then, then a really good piece on Logan Webb of the San Francisco Giants over on Fangraphs.com. Uh, go subscribe to Fangraphs.com if you are not already. It's a very good uh, Major League Baseball website that you should be subscribed to if you are not already. Make sure you check us out on YouTube. You can check all of our videos out and all of our full episodes, clips, all kinds of video content over on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe and all that good stuff there. Uh, read me at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Dot com. Type in your email, become a subscriber today to read all my stuff. Uh, you can email this very program at chasedomuspodcast at gmail.com. All right, part three as we wrap up here on a Wednesday with John Taylor. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I all right, y'all, we're back here on a, another edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this late on a Tuesday. John Taylor is here of Fangraphs.com, as he is every week at this time. John Taylor, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Not too bad. I, I just love the sound this week because John is uh, on location and it sounds like he is in the studio where we are going to talk about the important issues here. We need to, you, you need to get a, all that crazy eggshell soundproofing material for your for your studio so it can just sound like, you know, so, so it sounds like you recorded like um, <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon in there or something. Just Pink Floyd level. It's like sound production. There you go. I mean, eventually, yeah, I will do the soundproof, uh, but that's that's the next house type thing. Uh, that's a that's a future home by like post marriage thing where we get the uh, I guess current marriage post marriage sounds like after a divorce or something. Yeah, that makes it uh, sound like when you become a cool divorced. Uh, yeah, that's not dad, what I'm saying there at like, all. Man cave where it's, mm-hmm. it's literally it's just a podcast studio. Very sad. Uh, I don't want that. That's yeah, pretty uh, depressing. Yeah, I don't want that. I don't want that, John. Um, John Taylor, though. Uh, we have yes. today in national pastime. Are you are you ready for today's national pastime? I'm always ready for the national pastime. It's one of my favorite things. I love perusing it every single uh, day, but especially on Tuesdays because uh, we get to talk about it. And I'm gonna. There's some names here. There's some certain. There's some names. There's some stuff that you're gonna like for this one, John. 1918, June 28th. Quote: After moving up to the mound for a possible cutoff play. White Sox back 
shortstop, uh, Ray Schalk, continues to second base, taking a throw from first baseman Chick Gandil uh, to double up Brown's Ray Demet, who failed to retouch second base, attempting to get back to first. The play makes the future Hall of Famer uh, the first catcher to make a put out at every bag, a feat not accomplished again until 1964 when Johnny Roseborough tags Willie Mays out in a rundown play when the infielder tries to steal second. So from 1918 to 1964, a catcher did not make a put out at every bag. That... Uh, that doesn't really surprise me. Also, just in, in reading up a little about Ray Schalk, he was apparently mm. uh, the greatest defensive catcher of his time, hmm. uh, which is notable. Yeah. And also was one of the best hitters for the 1919 Black Sox in the World Series. Um, apparently, he was such an honest and honorable person that the gamblers who approached uh, the White Sox about throwing games uh, never even bothered talking to him. <laughs> there you go. Um, John. We could talk about uh, Freddie Freeman moving on from his old representation to uh, representing himself temporarily. We'll see what happens there. But, I mean, a rough a, a rough weekend. I mean, the Dodgers obviously won the series and Acuna's out again. But and he's not playing tonight uh, in Philadelphia as they start that series. But um, that was just a weird one. I don't really have much to say on it. It's just... They, it, it's it's just it's just kind of sad because yeah. the, the ultimate kind of point of i mean leave aside all the the weirdness of um the change in representation of you know, clayton kershaw's comments about hoping that the dodgers aren't second fiddle mm-hmm. um it, it's just the, the sadness to me that freddie freeman just wanted to stay in atlanta it's so so obvious that he his first second third all the way down choice would have been stay in atlanta mm-hmm. um and I know he's, you know, he's put out a statement since that said, you know, a lot of this is just processing a lot of emotions that he very clearly had not been able to process, I think, in part because he signed with the Dodgers relatively late and then the lockout stuff was going on. So which I buy and I, and I can understand that, too, like his time in Atlanta was very, very you know important and meaningful. And obviously he went out on the highest possible note. And, you know, it's it 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 doesn't surprise me either that he wanted to stay. I think something you and I talked about during the offseason is the idea that there was probably an offer that the Braves could have made that maybe wouldn't have been as big as what he took from the Dodgers or wouldn't have been as big necessarily as he wanted, but that all things considered, he probably would have taken, I think. I mean, I don't know, because the question to me about the representation stuff is, does that mean that the Braves had an offer out to Freeman that his agents rejected without him being able to weigh in or, or what? Or hmm. what? I guess I'm curious... That, to me, is the most curious thing, is what does that change in representation mean with regards to Freddie Freeman and the Braves, especially because he's made some very vague comments about seeing things from the other side now and, and whatnot. But either way, it, it's sad, and I have to imagine, especially for, for Dodgers, clearly the Dodgers themselves are not super thrilled with how this all played out, um, given Kershaw's comments and everything. Well, that's what I was also going to say, is that when you talk to MLB guys and talking to college guys, like... Baseball teams are a tight-knit group, man, and they st- they spend a lot of time on the road together. They talk a lot. They're more I think they're closer than most other sporting uh sports I would, leagues. I would, sport- I would agree with that, yeah. So when they publicly are like I don't know, man. Especially Kershaw. Kershaw's yes. not the type I think to do that. And right. So I, I definitely, if you're if you're both on the Dodgers and if you're a Dodgers fan, you you probably come out of this weekend feeling like, what the hell, dude? Do you really not want to be here that badly? Like, mm-hmm. 
And I know Freeman has said, too, that he and Kershaw talked and, you know, they're they're good. And, and I imagine that this probably will not come up again during the season since mm-hmm. they're not going to go back to Atlanta. But boy, is it really going to become a story if the Dodgers and the Braves meet in the playoffs. And in particular, if Freeman has a bad series, you know, mm-hmm. that's and that's the other thing, too. If he has a bad year and he's had a he's had an OK year, certainly not as, as good a year as I think he usually has. But. You know, if he has a down year by his standards or, or by, you know, by what the Dodgers are paying him, I think there are going to be a lot of fans who are going to turn on him pretty hard and be like, you just clearly don't want to be here, do you? And again, that's just what makes me sad is that, yeah, Freeman, I mean, I don't think Freeman doesn't want to be in L.A. It's just very clear he wants to be in Atlanta first and foremost and that he wanted to stay there and he wanted to finish his career there. And it just it didn't work out or play out because of whatever reasons. And this is the weird end result where we have a player on one team talking publicly about how much the other team meant to him. Yeah, I think it's one of those when you read the stuff with Chipper where like Freddie and Chipper are super close, right? And I think Chipper told him, he's like, you're playing with fire here. And I think this was one where it was like the combination of, I think the fact that he moved on from his agent tells me that there was a, like there, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall once the Matt Olson trade went through. Uh, because remember, that happened first. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, I just imagine what that call was like, where they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I get the sense that Freeman was blindsided by that. Yeah, maybe, and maybe that's the thing with the with the representation thing. It's not mm-hmm. so much that, the, that they turned down an offer without him knowing it, but that they had... I met maybe their they waited too was, long. They, yeah, we're going to wait them out. They'll come back with a better offer. Instead, they went to plan B with Olsen. And mm-hmm. like you said, Freeman gets blindsided by it. And presumably, I mean, I don't know. And maybe just being back in Atlanta just, you know, made him feel more and more like, hey, I made a like these guys really screwed me. This is where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And they did not pursue the best plan for me, um, which I, I think, think he is, wanted to do the chipper thing. Like, I think he saw himself as a lifelong brave. Like, I think that was it. There's would, a reason that him and chipper are close. I would I th- gather that every Braves fan also thought Freddie Freeman was going to be a lifelong Brave. Yeah. Um, I gather that the Braves front office probably had hopes that he would be a lifelong mm-hmm. Brave. I mean, I'm pretty That's sure the situation not... is so weird and it's just so unique. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure the Braves didn't have any interest in making him the kind of offer either that he got from the Dodgers or the kind yeah. of offer he was looking for overall. But yeah, that that you're you're I like your theory uh, in particular that that um, that. Freeman and his camp got blindsided by the Olsen trade uh, because they either they overplayed their hand or they were just not nearly aware enough of what was going on in the background when it came to because uh, I think that's something else we talked about, too, is that like when it came to replacing Freeman in Atlanta, the free agent market had zero good options and the Braves right. had zero good options internally. So I imagine so they couldn't probably, wait on a Matt Olson trade. The Matt, that tells me that they made that trade because they thought Matt Olson was getting moved within like a forty-eight hour window or something. Probably, like, or yeah. and and I would wager that um, Freeman's representation probably felt going into the offseason, Hey, what other option do these guys have? Like, right. It's either us or you know, or they have to move prospects and in for a big trade and like, and you know, maybe they figured, oh, maybe Olson's a possibility, but I. You know, everyone offseason, oh, Matt Olson is going to be a Yankee. Matt Olson is going to be, um, you know, might be a Dodger. I think that I think or they'll that's, only that's do the that if they, we consider. tell them no. Right. Like it's like they'll pivot to Matt yeah. Olson if we tell them. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That, that Freddie Freeman was the Braves number one option and that they were only going to go get someone like Olson if Freeman flat out said, I am not coming back or right. this offer is not good enough or whatever it is. 
But I guess now it's fun to think of the alternate universe where Freeman stays in Atlanta and the Dodgers trade for Matt Olson instead. Ooh. But I don't know. Maybe they could just swap him. <sighs> Who says no? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um I don't know. Uh, Matt Olson's parents who were able to get all these games. I was going to uh, say, locally. local Georgia boy Matt Olson would like to stay in Georgia. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's one of those. Now, it, the the hilarious thing is if he had signed the mega one-year deal, if he had done like the Carlos Correa thing in L.A., there is no question that Freddie Freeman is an Atlanta Brave next winner. Like, that's the whole thing. Is like, he's locked in. I don't see a trade. So, Braves fans who are like, he's so sad. Like, maybe they can trade back for him. I don't see any path to that happening I mean, there's, there's I, the only way freddie freeman comes back to the braves is on one of those one day contracts to retire yes. brave like it's um, over like he's, it's over he, yes yeah. there's matt olson is the first baseman there for the next how long was that extension seven years eight years i think so yeah yeah so seven, he's yeah. he is the first baseman there for the for the duration mm. uh freeman's career is probably not going to go beyond this contract with yep. with the dodgers so yeah i think unfortunately for freddie freeman um i don't think he gets to return to atlanta as an active player but I do think, I mean, it's very clear that, like, whenever his career is over, he is almost certainly going to go back to Atlanta in some degree or capacity, and will probably get some kind of nice send-off and whatever else, and he I have to the imagine, Hall of Fame as a Brave, I'm going to go ahead and, and that's guess. the thing, too, if he if he does make it to the Hall of Fame, I would, I get it will definitely be as a Brave, so, yeah, it's, it's just, I think it's just ultimately it's just sad to see, because, you know, it's, you, it, it these guys it's, it's a nice reminder too these guys are humans too like mm-hmm. these are they're, they're not robots they're not you know baseball playing automatons like they have real feelings and real you know real they have things they care about and you know mm-hmm. that, that that to me is just the the sad part of the freeman stuff is this is a dude who had real feelings about where he was and very clearly wanted to be there and you know not i'm not saying let's all feel bad for the guy who got 140 million or whatever it was from the dodgers and gets to play for a world series contender but like you know, and, and it's obviously it's not just the team too. It's the community he was a part of. It's the family he raised there. It's the whatever friends he had there. It's whatever mm-hmm. he it's whatever he particularly liked about living in Atlanta or in Georgia. I mean, let's be fair. Freddie Freeman wasn't living in Atlanta. He was um, really in like downtown Atlanta. Uh, well, not downtown, but he wasn't in like the suburbs. I think he was okay. Sandy Springs. Where do most the... Braves players live? Well, here's the thing, John. Um, it depends. Like, they're kind of scattered because, like, I knew... I don't want to out any neighborhoods, uh, but I know of uh, several um, that uh, back in the day I knew... Like, I knew were Andrew Jones and Glavin and guys like that. They, I'm pretty sure they were all in the same neighborhood of one I know uh, particularly well. Um, but I would say the majority... If I had to guess where the majority of them lived it would be sandy springs buckhead somewhere outside okay. of that that would be well, my I'd be, guess. I'd be curious too if how much that changed like once the team moved out of uh from their old home into into now yeah. where they are in Cobb county but mm-hmm. yeah either way yeah it's it's you know it's again nice it's a good reminder that these guys are human beings and have human mm. feelings and you know that there are real you know they're real people so to speak and yeah, I mean, it also those, just shows that just it's a it's a dance, man, with agents with you. Like it's, it's cutthroat as hell. Like this is a, a good reminder too. This is a business for all mm-hmm. these teams. They don't operate on emotion, sentimentality. You know, unless you're the Cardinals, I guess. And that's what Chipper um, tried, I think, to convey to Freddie 
was that like Alex is going to have to do something like the Braves are like they cannot do this dance with you like they cannot yeah. be left at the altar and then you sign with the Dodgers because they can't they're not going to do the number in years and then Olsen gets traded and then the Braves are just screwed like they yeah I mean that's and that's the other that's the other part of it too like you're, you're right that Atlanta had to make moves to take care of itself you know and right. it, it could not work necessarily on Freddie Freeman's timetable mm-hmm. and I know you and I had argued it's like why wouldn't the Braves just give Freddie Freeman what he wants he's literally Freddie Freeman um, granted they ended up in a better scenario at least when it comes to a guy that they you know presumably feel way better about long term mm-hmm. in Matt Olson, but uh, yeah, it's these these things happen sometimes, and it's it's a real shame because it's again it's human beings who are you know these guys are human beings and they you know they are the ones who have to deal with the fallout so to speak. Absolutely, um, John. We have some other Major League Baseball stuff that I want to pick your brain on. Yes, Bryce Harper because oh he cannot have nice things. This just bummed me out. Like, Bryce Harper, who will not be in the lineup yeah. for the Braves, uh, Phillies. It looks like he's gone for the year, right? Like, this is it. Like, I don't think he comes back they're this say, year. So, the, the most recent thing was said he's going to need surgery, and they're guessing it's going to be about a six-week recovery period. So, there is a... I would say, given that timetable, you'd be looking at him back for the month of September, if all goes well and his rehab goes well. Um, obviously, any setbacks, I think you'd be right, would leave him done for the year but or if the phillies fall out of contention right yeah if the phillies fall out i mean i think he would still come back even if they fell out of contention assuming Hmm. there's no risk in letting him play um just because i don't think bryce harper is the kind of guy who wants to just take a month off at the end of the season for no reason that's a clown idea bro yeah it's i mean it's it's tough um i guess the kids the good news for the phillies is i mean you know we're, we're talking about in the course of, you know, let's say six to eight weeks without Harper, you know, maybe that's a whoever takes this place, maybe that's a two win downgrade overall. Mm. That's not huge uh, in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, the bigger problem is the Phillies. Every win is deeply, deeply important, given that they are more wild card contenders and they are divisional contenders. Uh, and obviously, given the problems they've already had with regards to uh, both the out, although. I say problems with the outfield, although Harper was very clearly not going to go back into the outfield this season, uh, barring something strange. So at the very least, it doesn't hurt their outfield any worse, but now they obviously have the one more lineup spot that they need to fill. And right now those at-bats are going to go to Matt Veerling, <laughs> Oscar Mercado, Odubel Herrera. Like that's that's really, really not good. If anything, it puts a lot of pressure on the Phillies. And I was like, you got to go out and get a bat if you want to stay in this. And... Which is also complicated because, well, where are you going to put that guy? Mm-hmm. Again, Harper was taking up the D. De- I mean, I guess the idea would be go out and get an outfielder. And I think, you know, a guy like a Tommy Pham or, or uh, Andrew Benintendi or something along those lines would probably make the most sense because not only is that, you know, an extra bat, but that also means you can put Nick Castellanos back at DH where he belongs. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's the thing. Depending how quickly the Phillies respond to this, because, you know, they know Harper's gone for at least the next two months. And depending what they do in replacing Harper, because this isn't something they can do internally. You know, they, they don't have the bats in their system to, to replace Bryce Harper. And like no one can replace Bryce Harper, but they can at least go out and get a guy who is above league average and more importantly, who can play defense in the outfield um, so they can put Castellanos back at DH. But yeah, they, they do need to move quickly, though, because I mean, this is like I said, this is not a situation where the Braves, the Braves are not the Yankees. I don't have a 12 game lead at the top of the division with guaranteed playoff odds and, you know, and whatever else. This is a team that is, as of right now, uh, eight games back in the East, uh, three behind Atlanta for second. And, 
you know, is in the thick of the wild card race. Our postseason odds at Fangraphs right now have them thirty point seven percent. Not which terrible. Is not terrible, but it is the lowest the lowest odds of any of the I guess you could say the um, eight contending NL teams. Everyone else is four uh, percent or below. So hmm. they have a they have a hard road to climb right, or they have a hard road to walk right now. And on the plus side, unless the Marlins go on a big run, or the Giants really, figure I mean that's out. that's kind of the thing. Like they they don't have any competition for that last playoff spot. The Marlins are the next closest team in the standings yeah. to them, uh, and they're six games under five hundred and five games behind the Phillies in the in the standings. You know, the other side of it though is that if the Phillies collapse from this point forward, well, I, I mean, I guess even then they'd probably still keep that postseason spot because again, there's no one else in the NL beyond them who's really any threat to capture that. But it definitely, it definitely makes their their margin for errors smaller. And like you said, if, if Harper's gone for the season, then I, any realistic hope of doing anything at all in the playoffs is gone too. But, but shout out to Harper for having a good attitude about it and didn't take like because he it wasn't intentional what happened. No, it wasn't. That was just it's, bad. I mean, luck. it's it's Blake Snell pitching to a lefty. Like, yeah, no way it's intentional. That dude just doesn't know where the ball is going thirty percent <laughs> of the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that that's the good news for the Phillies is as bad of a loss as this is. You know, they're not being challenged for that. Uh, they're not. Or better said, sorry, because there are only the. Wait, how many? I've, I can't believe I'm asking this like halfway through the season. How many playoff spots are there in every league now? Six? Isn't is it six? Yeah. So I guess in that mind, like on yes. the one hand, the Phillies do not have competition behind Wait, is it them. Seven? I thought it was seven, and somebody gets a buy. I thought it was the. <laughs> am I misremembering that? I thought it was seven. And you know what's amidst, amidst all the lockout stuff, this is one of yes. the things I never really got full clarity on: is what the actual playoff structure looks like now. Am I misremembering that? I thought it was like the number one overall seed gets a buy. Am I misremembering that? Yeah, the number the number one seed gets a bye. Uh, so the then third best division at, winner yeah. plays the last team in, while the okay. best and second best wild card winners play each other. So three division winners, then the three wild cards. So right now Philly okay. is out of a wild card spot. The good news mm-hmm. for them, like I said, is that there is no real competition behind them. You know, unless the Marlins go off on a super crazy hot streak, you know, they're not going to get passed by anyone. Problem is mm-hmm. now they have to make up that ground for that wild card in that wild card chase with uh, I believe the current wild card teams are the Giants, uh, the Cardinals, and the Braves right now. And as of right now, they are decently behind. I mean, they're they have the same number of wins as the Giants. They're they're they have two more losses because they played an uneven number of games, so they're pretty much mm-hmm. right there tied for that last wild card spot. But yeah, it's 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 not it's not ideal. It's it's real. Or no, sorry, they're not they're not tied for that last one. I forgot they're. Oh boy, it's been a mess. <laughs> I forgot about the Padres. Okay, so yeah. you got the you got the Padres, Padres are in. The, like they've already the Padres that is one the in. number one wild card team. Then the Braves yeah. number two. Uh, then the Cardinals number three. The Giants are just outside of the postseason picture, and then the Phillies behind them. Right. So really, at, at this point, you can look at it as Phillies wise. You know, the Giants are your number one competition for a playoff yep. spot right now along with whoever the number two NL Central team is. The, I mean, I, I'm i sure we'll talk about this as we get further through the summer as to mm-hmm. which of those three teams looks like the best bet or which of those three teams look like the best bets for those final two spots. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Phillies already on the outside looking in, not ideal to lose their best hitter right now. And yeah, it, it's just tough. They, I, I, and I, like I said, I really think Time, time is of the essence for them. I don't think this is something where you should wait till the deadline to try to find the guy you want. No, if you know there's a guy you want, go out and get him. 
You know, these next this next month leading up to the trade deadline, all those games count just as much as the games on the other side of the trade deadline, too. You know, and there are going to be other teams looking for outfield help. You know, steal a march if you can. Go out and get Fam or Benintendi. The cost for those guys should not be particularly high. You know, those are both. Well, just make sure that Tommy Fam is not in any fantasy leagues for. Any yeah, I mean, players, definitely yeah. make sure Tommy Fam doesn't join your team's fantasy football league because, uh-huh. if anything, he also just doesn't seem to understand how fantasy football works <laughs> on a general level. But also, I got to say, like trading for the dude who slapped someone over a fantasy football trade or, or, or waiver wire claim. Mm-hmm would make fam a really good Philly fit. That's On the true. other hand, Andrew Benintendi's name is literally Benintendi, which also mm. an incredibly good Philly fit. Like, but do you I can see fam appearing on Always Sunny in Philadelphia way like, quicker. Do you know how disappointing it is to me mm. that Vinny Pasquantino is not a Philly? <laughs> like, how did that, how did that not happen? Mm. Also, I, I just have to shout this out now while I still can, because it, it just reminded me. Uh, if you're in the greater Philadelphia area... Mm-hmm. On July 22nd, which is a Friday, okay, the Phillies are hosting Italian Heritage Celebration Night. Inarticulate Italian noises come to yes, life. Yes, I, I am debating. I am really, really <laughs> considering going down for that because that has the potential to be the single funniest in-game celebration <laughs> of anything that Major League Baseball has ever done. Is basically inviting the entirety of Phillies Italian American community to come on out and just be <laughs> stereotypes. I, re- I hope they just lean into every single yeah. stereotype. I think you should. Like after, you every, like after every strikeout, like a batter just has to throw the bat to the ground and just like start gesticulating wildly in the air and like <laughs> yelling at, like have them yell at the umpire like they're soccer players, like just get yeah. right in their face and just be like, oh, I think man. you should have to walk into like with a pastrami sandwich to the box. Yes. Like that's part of it. Like yes. You... Or, or wearing, wearing a tank top of some kind. Yes. Very, um, oh, like the unbutton, like just yeah, the unbutton shirt yeah, or, with the honestly, tank. The more you look like you could have been a background character, like, your, your ticket price should be determined by how much you look like a character on The Sopranos. <laughs> like are they should, like, are they going to have like? Yeah. I would love to see if they have like, uh, like any of the actors from that show come out to throw a first pitch. I would genuinely love that. Even though that's not, I guess it's not Philly, it's New Jersey, which... Well, I mean, there's a lot of Philly fans in New Jersey, man. There are, but I mean, but the thing is that the the Sopranos is more, is more North Jersey. It's the, it's it's North Central Jersey. It's New York Jersey. Mm. Philly Jersey is, um, that's all, or Philly, New Jersey is a whole different thing. I'm not going to pretend to have a good grasp on that. This is this is our weird mid Atlantic thing. Jersey belongs to. Well, this is your your bread and butter, man. I can tell you about like South Georgia and North Florida, and I can tell you about North Jersey and Central Jersey and South Jersey. There you go. Yes, you have no concept for any of that. I apologize to your Jersey listener. I'm not even from Jersey. I just like taking shots. I just love Jersey. I I wish I could say that. Like that's a fun thing to say. I'm from Jersey. Yeah, I'm from Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, like that's just like a cool thing to say. We apologize. Uh, yeah, to- I mean, I'm, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I can't. I, it's just the, when the lean into the joke by having Italian heritage yeah. celebration. Like, how, how can I not enjoy that? It's beautiful. It's absolutely I that- beautiful. I, 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 I encourage everyone in the, in the Philadelphia area to go to that game if you can, and and please tell me how it is. If there's like a free shirt giveaway, like please send me the shirt. I just I hope it is just like Nick Castellanos, like doing the two fingers up your like gesture, the pinch fingers, like. <laughs> Yes. Come on. What are we talking about here? Italian heritage. Cabagool. Um, Speaking of like just fun, crazy stuff, John, um, Sunday afternoon, 
a lot happened in Los Angeles. Not Los Angeles, Anaheim. We're not calling them Los Angeles. That's not in Los Angeles. No. Um, the Anaheim Angels and the Seattle Mariners. All hell broke loose, John. And yes. I want to get your perspective now that you've had a couple days to think about it and watch it back and write Rosella Iglesias and what he did and threw onto the field. The nightmare that uh, continued in, uh, in uh, Anaheim. But this was one of my favorite fights. I had like written down where I was like, because you see it break out, you'll see Twitter start reacting and you're just like, okay, this is probably nothing. This is a nothing burger. And then you check it out and you're like, this was delightful. I'm all in on this. Like, here's a take for you guys. Fights are fun. Like, prof- like professional fights in uh, sporting events, fun. Guess what? Hockey fights, fun. It's a fun thing to see up close. Baseball fights, it was fun. It This was a fun That's... thing. I watched it back multiple times, John. This was a good thing. But like you said, like what, like the the funny thing to me about this, I mean, beyond mm-hmm. everything that happened, which was <laughs> unbelievably funny in, in, in entirety, is that, or to me anyway, is that, like you said, most baseball, most baseball brawls, base brawls, yeah, they're not really much. It's just some no. some jawing, like some some congregating around the mound. Maybe if you're lucky, somebody gets shoved or something. No, this was a full out fight. Right. JP we don't Crawford usually get the thing with the Reds pitcher. You know? What was the... Who was the Red pitcher who, like, went one on 30? Oh, Amir Garrett? Yeah. Yes. Like, that was the all-time best. That's my all-time yeah, favorite. Yeah, well, because Amir Garrett always wants the smoke, which I mm-hmm. genuinely appreciate about him. Um, but he stared down one versus an entire bench. Yeah, he life. basically tried... And, like, Puig, I remember Yasiel Puig doing that, too, yes. when he was on the Reds with the Pirates. He basically mm-hmm. fought the entire team. So, yeah, those are that's usually what ends up happening. Is it's one dude or, like, a handful of dudes, like trying mm-hmm. to scrap and it doesn't really go anywhere this one was the kind of brawl where it started up again like that's how you mm-hmm. knew these these teams did are like we're really not happy with each other mm-hmm. and yeah it's it, it's just there's i don't know what my favorite part of it was i mean rice Iglesias just hucking a canister of sunflower seeds that's my favorite that that, that was is my favorite really really good i'm partial <laughs> to uh, Anthony Rendon using his non-injured hand to take swings was really really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, nice nice uh, presence of mind there, not mm-hmm. to use his uh, his injured right hand. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if you saw the clip of Shohei Otani getting into the scrum. He didn't throw punches or anything. I actually, think he kind of helped pull a guy out. But mm-hmm. His interpreter was right behind him the entire time, which I really liked. Yes. Um, the Angels players who went, had who quickly went out onto the field to scoop up all the bubble gum that had been thrown out there by Rice Iglesias because he he basically grabbed half of the stuff in the dugout and just started throwing it onto the field. Mm-hmm. Just incredible temper tantrum. Uh, Jesse Winker's uh, double birds to the crowd on the way out. Yes. Extremely. I'm always a huge fan of double birds on an ejection. Yes. Made all the funnier by the fact that he was doing it to the fans behind the visitors dugout, which means the majority of those people there were Mariners fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there was I like the little nice like silver lining story of the woman in Arkansas who ordered a pizza to be delivered to jo- to Jesse Winker while he was in the clubhouse. I like that a lot. They actually not only did they actually get the pizza delivered, but the but also the guy who delivered it. Uh, he got like hundreds of dollars in tips from just some random folks all over the internet. Mm-hmm. Just a very, very nice story all the way around there. So, yes, it just really, really funny. Um, although, it's, I mean, one thing I, I, the one thing about it, though, is just the discipline afterward, where it's just, I, we, I mean, we talked about this, I think, with the, or I know we talked about this previously with the, with the Josh Donaldson stuff about, like, what is an appropriate suspension for saying something racist, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, similarly, like, what is the appropriate suspension, like, 
it's pretty clear that the Angels sent out Andrew Wance, the pitcher who who both plunked Winker and threw at Julio Rodriguez uh, earlier in the game. It was pretty clear he was out there to do just that. You know, he was mm-hmm. an, he was an la- a last minute announcement um, spot starter slash opener. Um, I, I mean, like the guy. Th- I, I, one thing I don't get is how after what had happened on, on Saturday with, with uh, Trout getting a ball up and in that he clearly wasn't happy about happy about how mm-hmm. how 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 was Lance allowed to plunk Winker and not just immediately ejected? That that's mm-hmm. what I don't understand. Like the, the umpires had already issued warnings. I mean, Winker himself said, "Like, hey, if they had ejected him, I'm not going toward the dugout." Like, you know, there's right. Why are the basically why are the rules not being followed here? And I think on top of that, you know, I know, you know, the MLB handed out their suspensions to a dozen different people. Um, Phil Nevin got the longest one, the Angels manager, at 10 games. But if it really is the case, and it, again, very much seems like it is, that Wentz was instructed to go out there and throw at guys and that that was all he was there to do, how does Nevin not get like a month? Yeah. Like, that's not like, that's just not remotely appropriate, you know? And at the same time, Winker like, deserves I, a race. I think we give him, he gets some money. I mean, he gets the, some the, extra money. The suspension I really don't understand is Julio Rodriguez, who got two games for doing absolutely nothing. Um, yeah. Apparently, MLB thinks he threw a punch, but uh, he's adamant that he didn't, and there's no evidence that he did. Yes. But I, that's the kind of thing. Like, if you want to send a message about this kind of stuff, not necessarily about the brawls, because those just happen. These are just guys who get heated, and these teams have been playing mm-hmm. each other basically nonstop for two weeks. Like, you know, they clearly got under each other's skin. But if you're if you want to stop the precipitating event leading to the brawl, if you want to stop the stupid the head hunting and the intentional throwing, then send out a suspension that matters for that manager. Tell him you're taking the next month off. You're mm-hmm. done. You tell a player to go out there and hit someone. You're done. Right. Straight up. You know. Then we'll like then this stuff will stop happening. And it's not like I mean this wasn't like a, a this isn't like a, a hell and Lovejoy won't someone please think of the children thing like I don't care yeah but I mean look it already hurt not only did it already hurt the angels in terms of the suspension time they're going to have lost and the fact that they look like a bunch of clowns now after this point Archie Bradley broke his elbow coming out of the bullpen to try to join the scrum now they've lost mm-hmm. a reliever for the next like two months like a useful reliever like and for what what did you accomplish here what was accomplished in all of this nothing. Nothing at all. Just that the next time the Angels and Mariners play, that almost certainly some Angels players are getting drilled in the back. Yeah, the cycle will perpetuate. And it's, it's a, that that that's that's the thing to me that's just stupid is this idea that like if this were just a brawl that happened because some tempers just got flared, that's one thing. But like that this is just part of a uh, you know retaliation cycle, which to me is just one of the dumbest things in baseball. The whole idea—it's like you have to, you know, every action deserves a, a, a reaction of some kind. It's like no, no, we—that—that's the kind of stuff that you almost wish MLB could figure out how to stop in advance somehow. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's better, more consistent umpiring when it comes to this stuff. I don't know if it's that the disciplinary folks at MLB just need to be more—they need to hand down more severe punishments or, or what. But I think it's an age thing. I think they get aged out. Like I think the younger guys don't see it this way. And the more you talk to them, like when you get younger managers in there and you get younger players, I just, I don't think they have that same attitude. I think it's getting phased out gradually. I don't think it will be a part of baseball like 20 to 30 years from now. Probably not. I mean, that's the thing. We, we already, we, we already don't see it very much. Yeah. Like, you know, and I, I certainly, I don't have any numbers or anything on how much mm-hmm. head hunting was prevalent back in the day, but it did certainly seem like pitchers were more apt or likely to do that back in the day or to hit guys or yes. you know, just... I think I think you're right. It does feel like this is not so much 
a regular thing, which I think is also why something like this happens. Everyone's like, whoa, like when's the last time we really saw an all out brawl like this, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that to me is just the part for MLB where it's like, how is the suspension for Phil Nevin in particular not bigger? You know, how, how if, if you are, because that's the thing, a 10 game suspension by in and of itself suggests that Nevin had some, that there was some intent behind what happened. Because otherwise, why is Nevin getting 10 games? Right. You know, he didn't do anything else. It's not like he went in there and, and started like rounding. You're acknowledging that that was intentional. If you're yes, you're acknowledging that Nevin told his player go out there and hit somebody. Mm-hmm. So why is that only ten games? That should be a month. Make it clear that that kind of shit doesn't fly anymore, or yeah. should never have flown in the first place. But that that to me is just the the kind of MLB punishments just frequently feel not necessarily arbitrary, but just like they're like they're only seventy five percent of the way thought through. Mm-hmm. Like nobody has like the same thing with the Donaldson thing, where it's like okay. If you're suspending him, you're acknowledging that what he said was wrong in some capacity. But if he's only getting a game, then how wrong actually was it? And if you think it was actually really wrong, then why is it not more than it? Like, that, that's the kind of thing for me. It's like, you know, you, it almost feels like MLB just doesn't want to get into the business of trying to, like, parse action in particular. And it's just mm-hmm. decided, nope, you're just going to get 10 games. That's it. We don't feel like thinking about this anymore. <laughs> I imagine yeah. part of it, too, is they would also like the story out of the news cycle by this point. That's because true. I, I really think Major League Baseball does not like it when these... Obviously, Major League Baseball doesn't Well, like you're getting a lot more happen. smoke if you do a month. Like, there's a lot more that goes into that. There's more stories. Yeah, more. I mean, I, I guess it, the, the one side of it is maybe you're maybe you're dragging this on longer if, you, yes. if one team in particular feels like they were unfairly punished. On the mm. other hand, you're also making it clear to the 29 other teams, you do this kind of shit, you're losing your manager for a month. You know, and, and and even like anyone who's involved is going to get penalized. The White Sox are like, too. fine. Yeah, Tony Lewis is like, whatever. <laughs> I could I could use a vacation. I don't want to be here anymore anyway. I was going to say like, just, like a lot of players around the league are like, that's fine. All right. I could just picture uh, Tony Lewis doing the Magic Johnson. I'm not going to be here no more. Yeah. <laughs> when reporters ask him about it. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Um, John, speaking of the Mariners, though. They Jerry Depoto, like I said, I, I think I said on this podcast a couple weeks ago where I was like, I think they're going to be buyers. Like, I think they're just going to keep like I saw a stat where their last playoff season, they won over 100 games. And that was like yeah, that was just, the, uh, the 2001 team, the 116 win team. That is insane. They went from 116 wins to missing the playoffs the next year and then just mm-hmm. never have been back. And like, I think that, I want a 30 for 30. I want an oral history on like how this happens. Like, do you want to increase the suicide rate in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest higher than it already is? Mariners fans are already well aware of how sad the last two decades have been for them. Like, they don't. Yeah, they don't need to have that. But see, I don't think the places. national focus is on it enough. I don't think well, we I mean, all collectively like, with, understand with the Bills having made the playoffs. I believe mm-hmm. that the Mariners now have. North American professional sports' longest postseason draft. I think that's right. It's them or the Kings. I think it is them, though. Yeah, because the Kings made the playoffs oh, sometime in those late 2000s, right? I don't think so. Oh, I think the Kings' way. drought is like 2004. I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a while since the Kangs were a thing <laughs> worth paying attention to. But yeah, I... Poor 16 I, years I, for them. So what's 16 minus... It's 2006. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, like I mean... Look, you're never you're never going to go broke betting that Jerry Depoto is going to do something in particular. Make but I like this. This is okay. Like Carlos Santana didn't give up much for him, and you know, no, I mean, Mariners should be buying. Like it's this a, is a thing so, where I'm like, do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. One of that is a trade that needed to be made with Ty mm-hmm. France hurt. They don't really have any first base depth. Santana is at the very least capable of standing at first base. <laughs> uh, he knows where it is. He knows how to catch balls heading that direction. He's had a much better June. 
after a really, really slow start. And really, his last two years have been pretty bad. Like, he's very mm-hmm. clearly on, on the back nine, if not, you know, uh, walking up to the green on 18. But mm-hmm. look at John with the golf references. I know, just dragging out some metaphors here. But I like it. I just did not see that coming out of you. But, Didn't yeah, I think, and, and like you guy. said, they, they gave up very little to org arms who will probably, you know, they're, reliever, they're relievers at best, and they don't really project to be more than, you know, kind of up and down reliever types. Yeah. Um, I guess the question, like you said, is, okay, if they're buyers, well, for starters, you know, if they are buyers, they're coming from a really, really low spot. They're seven games under 500. They're obviously completely out of the AL West race or 12 and a half games behind the Astros. They are extremely out of the wild card race as well, um, Mm -hmm. which is currently Toronto, Boston, and I believe the Angels over the White Sox. So they're not, I mean, granted, the Angels are you below 500. Right or I'm yes. sorry, not the, I'm sorry, not the, not the Angels, the Guardians who are three games over yeah. 500. So they've got a ways to go. Plus, they've got the Rays ahead of them and the Angels and the White Sox. Like, there is a lot of ground the they have to climb. And no, they're, they have more or less the same. Actually, the Rangers have a better winning percentage. Yes. Yeah. So they're behind the Rangers, too. Um, their odds, their playoff odds right now, we have them at seven and a half percent. That's pretty awful. But and if you add more, if you keep adding, <laughs> like I look, I, and that's the thing. Like I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea, especially because I don't think that the problems that the Mariners have are necessarily, you know, unfixable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of, and and the farm system, I think, is is especially given how you know up and up or how on the up it is. Mm-hmm. It's. You know, it's, it's it's not as if you're it's not as if, again, like you're the Phillies and you're like, well, we're basically trying to exchange like dented pennies for like, actual dollar bills. Mm-hmm. But I guess the question, you you know, if you're, if you're the Mariners is, OK, what what are our main issues right now in terms of just about everything mm-hmm. um, and how can we address them? And, you know, you look at that roster you're like, OK, second base has really not panned out. Adam Frazier mm-hmm. has just not worked um, you know, they're they're not really any other better options on the roster. It feels like is there a cheap potentially free agent to be second baseman who would make sense for them? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'm looking up now. You know what what free agent second baseman are going to uh, or who the free agent second baseman are going to be next year? Actually, Frazier is going to be one of them. So you're not talking about like okay, this summer a, who a, they could add second baseman they can add at the no I'm, no I'm talking about this summer because I'm looking at you know who is who's someone who's on the because I'm thinking pending free agent is someone who's going to be extremely cheap to acquire you know hmm. and so that's going to be most appealing to the Mariners because like I think their yeah. moves are going to be closer to something like adding guys like Santana you know well you could cheap. call the Rockies about Reynolds right like they're just like all right he needs to change the scenery this is not working here are you talking like about Brent, uh, or Rogers Brendan Rogers Brendan Rogers. Me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, can't, I don't really see Colorado doing that, if only because, um, I mean, who knows what Colorado is ever going to do at but any But that's the team point. you call, because you don't know what they're going to do. Like, I'm sure, calling no, that makes, that makes like, perfect yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. You call them, you see what's up, you know. Mm. Maybe maybe whoever picks up the phone doesn't know who Brendan Rodgers is. It's like, yeah, sure, <laughs> exactly. whatever. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I'm just looking at this list of second basemen, like the, the would-be cheap second baseman who would theoretically be available on... Um, in the trade market, you're looking at like Donovan Solano and Cesar Hernandez and Jed Lowry. Man, this is rough. Um, okay, so maybe maybe second base is not something they're necessarily going to be able to to do anything about. You know, maybe hey Cincinnati, maybe Jonathan India, is it time? I no, I mean, I boy, the I, 
Reds fans are already angry enough with the way everything yeah. is played out there. Like, or maybe it's something. It's like you know the rotation has been kind of shaky. You know, Logan mm-hmm. Gilbert's been great. Marco Gonzalez has been solid. You know, Robbie Ray I think is better than what we've seen. George, but like, you know, they're going to be growing pains for George Kirby. Chris Flexen is a really mediocre back of the rotation starter. You know, do you mm-hmm. want to do something there, or do you want to add bullpen help beyond uh, beyond Paul Seawald and act who's, and the very good. Uh, Eric Swanson and actually Penn Murphy has been very good too Mm. you know there's not a whole lot of great relief work that's happening in in Seattle right now and that also feels like an extremely Jerry DePoto target because that's what he he has done more than it's just pick up back it's just pick up relievers yeah because those guys can always be acquired for cheap you can usually get them off the off waivers you can you know teams are always looking to move org arms Um, but I, I just I can't see though given how far back they are in the standings and the, the fact lineup that this, hits, though, John. Like when you look at it, I mean, I will when say, you look up and down the list. Like I would still bet on Henniger figuring it out at some point. Well, I mean, that's that's, that's the idea. Yet. It's like that's the idea, right? Is it like you? Han, I mean, Henniger's injured right now. He'll come back at some point. Mm-hmm. Kyle Lewis, who has a concussion, hopefully he comes back at some point. Maybe at some point down in AAA, you know, that you feel comfortable enough with Jared Kalenic, and he actually looks like he's really figured something yeah. out. And bring him back up and give him another shot. Um, I, I the, Suarez actually, the, has hit. And Crawford, obviously, has been a really good player. Like, the, Raleigh's been a good player. The irony to me here is that a year after, um, you know, the, all the fun differential stuff where the, the Mariners greatly outperformed their Pythagorean record, now mm-hmm. they're greatly underperforming. And by exactly. Pythagorean record, they should be only a game under 500 as opposed to uh, seven or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe if you're in the Mariners front office, you look at it and go, hey, we've been better, actually, than we than we've played. Mm-hmm. The West is gone, but the teams in front of us in the wild card chase are not the strongest teams. You know, it's Cleveland, it's Texas, it's Cleveland Angels. doesn't even want to be there. <laughs> and that's the other thing. It's like, are you, you know, the Rays, like those teams also are not going to make huge moves. You yes. Know? Um, or at least I, I don't really see that happening. Those teams are also probably going to be making moves that are more around the margins than anything mm-hmm. else. So, you know, maybe if you do make big enough a move, you can find something there. But like, again... Of all the te- of all the non tanking teams in baseball, they have the or in the, in the American League, they have the second lowest playoff odds. Only Texas has worse playoff odds than they do. Like that, there's just not really a much of a path here. And granted, that can all shift, you know, with the right I just move. Think you have to try. You just have to break this drought, and you're not like you should be. Like this needs to be a season where they're still challenging for one of the last wild card spots. I agree. Two weeks left in the season, they need. To I agree. Be doing I that. totally agree. I just think my my concern with the Mariners is that that work should have been done in the off season. Yeah, and that it's it's not necessarily too late now to do something about it. But you've re- like again, you've just knocked out your margin for error. You have to be a fantastic team from here on out to make up the deficit that you've that's been created for you. So. That to me also just makes me kind of skeptical. Just that feeling of like, I, I wonder if in the Mariner, within the Mariners front office, there's a sentiment of we'll just try again next winter or something. I also do wonder if yeah. you're a Mariners fan or if you're Mariners ownership, like, do you want Jerry Depoto being the guy to try to make this happen right now, or is this something where it's like, in if 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 the owner if ownership there feels like you know what we're moving on from him at the end of the season anyway. Whoever comes in gets carte blanche to just reimagine this team built around Rodriguez and Kalanick and Gilbert and Rally and all these other great prospects we have. You know, maybe maybe Depoto is just not the guy to do this kind of thing either. But that's that's obviously something that you know it purely depends on how on how Mariners ownership feels. And yeah, I mean, I I I too think the Mariners should try. Like I like you said, like it's it's twenty years with twenty twenty plus years without being in the playoffs. To miss it, particularly in a year where they've expanded the playoffs, just feels more pathetic than anything else. Like, right? And it's just 
the Pythagorean, like being a 500 team, like this is it. This is what it's for. The expanded playoff for you to go for it and you to really yeah. try and get in there and in this drought. Like, I don't know. That would be a bummer to me if they don't make a bigger swing uh, at the deadline. They don't try and do something else. Um, Depoto, you love trades. Do one more big swing. Like maybe it's Whit Merrifield. I don't know. Like just do something. Um, speaking Mer- of, I mean Merrifield, if if they feel comfortable with him playing second base, would make a lot of sense. But or, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's or they an could option. chuck him in the outfield too. Because I mean, right now, right, right field, field is Taylor yeah. Trammell, which he's been hitting well. But I, you know, given his struggles and given his plate discipline issues, I, I don't know that that's something you can really count on. Going, you're forward. one slump away from Justin Upton being in right field. Yeah, and that's. <sighs> Nothing says to me, like, again, that the, the Mariners' <laughs> offseason just did not go remotely as it should have than the fact that they just brought Justin Upton in randomly. Yeah. That's not, not. It's never a good sign when, like, a dude who the Angels gave up on because, you just, yeah. like, because they were just like, no, you're just not good enough to be here anymore. Not a good sign when you're, when you're fishing through the Angels' garbage. Great career, though. Shout out to Justin Oh, Upton. no, Justin Upton, a fantastic player, but very clearly... It's over. Yeah, yeah. very clearly finished. Um... What else is finished is the Kansas City Royals playoff odds. Uh, I mean, those were finished from, like, day one. <laughs> it's really sad. Like, they've actually just... We were talking before the year. We're like, if things go right, like, th- this is like... Well, what, one, of the, one of the things that had to go right was pitcher development, and it's pretty clear at this point that the Royals are not... Just do not... Un, they just don't do it well. Like, too many yeah. of these guys, Bubich, Singer, uh, Kowar, you know, all the, other, all the other young guys that they've had, you know, come through their... Like, th- no one is making progress. There is yeah. no development that's happening. And that's... That, if you're a Royals fan, has to be really concerning because so much of this return to contention was supposed to be built on the prospects, the prospects, mm-hmm. the prospects. I'm like, yeah, great. Like, NJ Melendez and Nick Prado and Vinny Pasquantino and Bobby Witt. Like, yes, those are all... Those, those guys are all great, but if you can't develop even one decent starting pitcher from that very talented... You're the Orioles. You had, yeah, you're the Orioles. You're the Orioles from, like, five years ago. That's not really where you want to be. You know, it really, this year, I think this season really does made it feel like the Royals are way further behind in their rebuild than I think most people expected at this point. Yeah, it's it's not great, man. I I don't know. Like, if I'm a Royals fan, I'm terrified. This is the worst spot to be in, where you've had this rebuild, and a lot of guys are ready to get called up, and you're like, all right, hey, we might be around 500. We can flirt with one of the second, wild, the second or third wildcard spots. Like, we're in a weak division, and then it's like, Oh, we're the worst team in the week division. It's not particularly close. Like this is um, this is a problem. This is one of those where this is the doomsday scenario in KC, and I don't know. Like but I don't know what uh, what Merrifield's trade value is going to look like this summer. Like what do you do with Green Key? It's not like they have a bunch of pieces they can just move. I mean, I guess Salvi Perez just because there's just a dearth well, I mean, of I, talent I, every, I, everywhere at catcher. Between his injury and the fact that the Royals very clearly want him to be the face of the franchise, yeah. at least the, of the older half of the franchise, like I, I really don't see that happening. Although, on the other hand, like, well, they got to clear out time for MJ Melendez, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they got to figure out if that dude's the catcher of the future. I mean, I just don't see them training him this summer, and I, I kind of hard to see them trading him at all. I think they'd probably be more likely to just be like, "You're a DH now, Salvi. Mm-hmm. That's how you stay healthy." So you're not. Well, that's or coming. Or you're right? only playing like you're only playing like half the season at catcher as opposed to the full season. You know, I mean, I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if he's like a Yadi Molina type where it's going to be like, "No, I'm the starter and I'm starting and I'm playing as many games as I can play," but. Well, the difference with that, too, with Yachty is that, like, they were still good. Like, the Cardinals were still winning baseball games with him doing that. Um, yeah, it, it's... The it's Royals much, it's, aren't. Yeah, you're, it's, it's much tougher when you're not any good. But, like, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, uh, in terms of guys that they could theoretically move this summer, 
who they you know might get something back on. I mean, it's it's Ben Intendi's almost certainly going to get moved. Yeah, I think there's no real reason for them to keep him around. But you're just not getting anything of consequence with Ben. No, Intendi. and that's the thing. Like you're trading a you're trading an outfielder with a sub 400 a corner outfielder with a sub 400 slugging percentage. That's just not worth very much in, in the right. market. Similarly. I mean, Michael A. Taylor is a fantastic defender. He's been a well above average hitter this season. But is that someone who's really going to bring a whole lot back? You know, is is Hunter Dozier really going to return anything if you've decided that you're, you're not into Hunter Dozier anymore? Is is Brad Keller? Uh, Brad Keller's only third, 26 years old. No way. The dude hmm. pitches like he's 33. Um yeah, I, I, you're right. Like, there really is not a whole lot of kind of movable talent on this roster that they can, you know, they can ideally exchange for really anything of use. Mm. I think, you know, like, Granky, I wouldn't, if they, they tried to trade Granky, I wouldn't be surprised if he just said no and retired. Like, just straight mm. up said, I'm not going anywhere else and retired. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't really see, I, I guess that's the thing. It's like, what do the Royals need to do going forward in order to be better beyond develop their pitching better? Mm. You know, because it's like what it's that sense of like, okay, I I don't think they're necessarily going to change course in terms of they're not suddenly just going to blow everything up they have now and and try again with something else. I imagine the commitment is still there to the core of Witt and and now Pasquantino and Melendez and and eventually Nick Prado and, and, you know, the other guys in their system. But it, it, like you said, this is this is a bad place to be, and it's not really clear how they get out of here because again, it just the pitching on that team is awful. Yeah, absolutely awful. And it's not. This isn't like the the Orioles of yesteryear. It is like the Orioles of yesteryear in terms yes. of just you have all these young guys you just don't know how to develop. The only difference is they just don't have the old guys also on the on the pitching side of things who mm. are just useless veterans that they bring in to soak up innings beyond Granky, who I will never call useless. But again, like I said, Singer, Bubich, Lynch, uh, um, his name's just escaped me, Jackson Kowar, you know, these guys shouldn't be struggling as badly as they're struggling. Right. You know, they're really talented arms. Why are they not good? Why are they not better? You know, and I think I I know Dayton Moore is not in charge anymore. And we've talked about that. I don't necessarily see a shakeup coming, but I would be curious uh, in particular about Mike Matheny. Hmm. And what his status is after this season. I know I don't necessarily know the Royals would blame particularly any of this on Matheny, but if your young players are not produ- are not producing, like I don't know. I mean, I've, if nothing else, I think and not even expect. I would hope that this offseason brings up some kind of shakeup with regards to the, the way the Royals do their pitching development. Because I guess that's kind of the thing. Like we'll we'll get to this offseason and we'll again be talking about, oh, the Royals, maybe maybe a dark horse 500 team. It's not going to happen until they get more out of their pitching. It's just simply not going to happen. And until we start seeing signs that, oh, they figured out how to make their pitchers better, kind of the same way we started to see now in Baltimore. It's like, oh, they actually know how to, how to develop these guys. These guys right. are actually league average or better starters. Until we see that in Kansas City, I, I really don't think that there's any reason to expect them to be any better, basically, than what they currently are, which is a 70-win team that's just has no pitching whatsoever. Go Royals. Go Royals. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, boy. We'll end on this, uh, John. So there's a good piece in uh, Fangraphs this week on Logan Webb. Uh, you're not going to believe this. The Giants, they're doing more good stuff with pitchers. Uh, it's it's what the Giants do. It's, um, it's kind of what it's their specialty. It's their specialty. Is it an Andrew Bailey thing? Who knows? Um, but what uh, it, you're not going to believe this. Ben Clements is also responsible for a good, thoughtful, uh, interesting piece on Fangraphs.com. Uh, the people are surprised. Um, people are surprised about this. But uh, no, it, this was this was great. Uh, what did you make of it? And what do you make of Logan Webb and uh, his resurgence uh, with the Giants? this year 
So I think what, what the point Ben makes is a really good one is, well, two points he makes that I, I really like. The first is that, you know, it can feel sometimes like, you know, especially with the way the Giants have played this season, which is to say they haven't been as good as they are last year. This idea they're like, oh, the, you know, the, the players they've developed are fine, but they're not great. It's like, no, Logan Webb is a great pitcher. Mm. And the, which leads into the second point that Ben made is he's a great pitcher in a way that almost no one else is doing, which is to say he's a sinker first pitcher who gets strikeouts. And, you know, if you read the piece by Ben, you know, he makes it, he explains exactly how it is that, that Webb's, um, and if anything, what, the, what I like so much about the piece is it's just one of those things where it's like it, every piece of what Webb is or what Webb does, his, his mechanics, his arsenal, his, you know, they, they all come together to make this work explicitly in a way for him that it probably doesn't work for anyone else, mm-hmm. at least not, not without them, or at least unless it's a pitcher who has Webb's exact same delivery and, and arsenal and pitch shapes and all that other fun stuff. So that, that particularly what I, is what I like from Ben's piece is just that, that little bit of like, hey, this all came together for this dude, and the result is a guy who throws a sinker who also gets strikeouts. Like, that's wild. That doesn't yes. happen. Um, I guess the the other side of that is, okay, is that something that's replicable? Is that something that, you know... And I don't know enough about Webb pre, uh, pre-transformation, pre so to speak, to get a sense of, like, how exactly the Giants built him up. Mm. But I, what I'd be curious about is if that's something that you can... If it can be replicated. Because I, and mm. I'm curious, too... Um, part of that is, as Ben, as ben mentions in his piece, is just uh, thanks to the fact that Webb has a kind of drop and drive delivery that his ball stays a little more shallow when it comes when it comes through the strike zone and thus hitters think it's going to dip a little more than it does and that's what gives his sinker such uh, such value basically is that he can throw it for a called strike pretty much whenever he feels like mm-hmm. that's obviously not something most pitchers can do sinker is a hard pitch to control particularly if you you know if you are coming for more of a standard over the top delivery so. Yeah, I, I would be very curious to see. I think that's what what I want to see going forward is, okay, and I know teams know this stuff, but it's like we know this stuff. Like, can, can you essentially build another Logan Webb? Can, are the Giants, you know, can the Giants do this again? It's like, and if anything, like I said, it's a, it's a testament to Giants player development that they've basically built this guy mm-hmm. who can excel in this one particular way that almost no one else can do. And it makes them both unique and, and, and very, very good. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's... The, the thing to me about it is it's being able to see all the various pieces come together for a guy in that way and how kind of just straight up smart and clever it is to have a pitcher where it doesn't feel like what he's doing is it's not a fluke. It's not out of the ordinary. It's just working to his strengths. The Giants found a way to work to all of his strengths and combine them into one to make him as good as possible. That's really cool. And I think that is a testament to how good this current Giants front office is in doing that stuff. And I think if you're a Giants fan, even if you're not feeling super great about this season for a variety of totally uh, defensible reasons, mm-hmm. you probably do still have to feel good. It's like, hey, our team did that. Like, we, like they made that happen. Like, we are, being, we are run by some very smart people. Um, and I think it's a good sign, too, that, you know, the Giants, you know, for as much as I think a lot of us last year were looking around and going, how the hell did they win 107 games? Okay, maybe they're not going to win 100. They're definitely not going to win 107 games again. But it doesn't feel like, this, like the Giants as a franchise are a fluke either. It feels like they have they have pretty well transitioned into their next stage of um, contention and, and front office uh, smartness, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, <laughs> intelligence. And that again, you, you got to feel like the right people are in charge, at least when it comes to the player development side of things. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. John, what can the good folks check out from you and uh, everything else on Fangraphs.com this week? Uh, well, you already mentioned Ben's piece on Logan Webb, which mm-hmm. is up now and, and very good. Definitely encourage people to read it. Uh, Jay Jaffe wrote about the Jesse Winker, about the brawl and everything surrounding Jesse Winker lately. If you want a more, if you want a gif heavy version of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing in particular coming this week that I think uh, folks are going to like, particularly if you are a KBO fan, our, Just, our Justin Choi will be doing a half season review of the current KBO season. Part one is coming tomorrow. So check that out if you're at all interested in the KBO, if you're just curious what's going on in Korea. I know that uh, KBO probably picked up a few extra American fans during the season. Do you the remember that season. week? Yeah, that where we all woke up wild. at like we all woke up at like four a.m. to watch Korean baseball, or some of us sickos just stay, were awake and or just stayed, stayed awake. up all the way. Yeah, I know. I, I I genuinely enjoyed so I genuinely enjoyed watching some of that stuff. Um, yeah, definitely encourage people to check that one out if you're at all interested in that. Um, but yeah, again, as the as we transition into July, as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline in particular, uh, come on over to Fangraphs. We'll be analyzing it all, writing about it all, covering it all. And uh, if you're not a member, come join us as a member. Help support our site. Help support the cool work that we do. And buy yourself a T-shirt while you're at it. We got cool T-shirts now. We've always had T-shirts. We've definitely got cool T-shirts now. Good pods. Good pods. uh, You got a lot of good pods. Shout out Effectively Wild. Shout Mm -hmm. out Fangraphs Audio. Very good stuff. Very good, good stuff. stuff. Um, go subscribe. If you're a friend of the Chase Mills podcast and you're not subscribed to Fangrass.com, then what are you doing? What are you doing? You, are you, you listen to this. The, you like us wrong talking. With you, you idiot. Idiot. Yeah, uh, I got I to gotta get the real Dr. Steve Brule. You doofus. What is it? Goofus or doofus? He says. I can't remember. I've already I've already butchered the goofus. Day. <laughs> I don't goofus? know. Goofus is odd. I don't know. It's probably doofus. Doofus is a good word. Uh, we should bring doofus back. I like doofus. Um, John Taylor. Follow you on Twitter. J.A. Taylor, as always. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Adios. All right, y'all, that'll do it for the Wednesday, June 29th, 2022 edition here on the Chase the Most Podcast. Thank you for making the Chase the Most Podcast part of your daily listen here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, make sure if you're an Apple Podcast or Spotify listener and you have not already done so, make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That is indeed how you listen. It helps other people find the show and it helps this show continue to grow and grow. Uh, I appreciate it as always. Uh, still just a jam-packed week of pods coming down the pike here as we wrap up june june just flew by pretty wild pretty wild so all kinds of great content on the horizon this week so look out for that make sure you subscribe on your podcast player of choice to the chase Most podcast so that you don't miss any of the content that's coming down the pike this week i like that expression coming down the pike uh all right that'll do it for today. I hope you all have a great rest of your Wednesday. And uh, yeah, Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.